Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field, those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Today, I come to you from my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, known to some on some days as the hottest city in America. And we are going to have a discussion about passive wealth. Boy, wouldn't we all love passive wealth? And how many folks I've spoken with about this, it feels like they have to work for their passive wealth. It's like another job. It shouldn't be. It should be something else. Well, for that reason and others, I have been so fortunate to deliver for you as our listeners, somebody who has created a blueprint for this, literally. It's the seven-step blueprint to passive wealth. If that name sounds intriguing, let me tell you about our guest. His name is Rob Chang. He's the creator of the Passive Wealth Coaching System, and he's been managing apartments since the age of 16 and has 25 years of experience with all facets of real estate investing, including but not limited to rent collection, accounting, maintenance, remodeling, leasing, buying, selling, and owning. There's so much more to him. Uh, right now, he has a California broker's license as well as a general contracting license and currently controls $193 million in investment property assets and owns $10 million worth of real estate. And when he's not managing that, he's coaching students on how to create passive and generational wealth through his Passive Wealth Coaching Program. So, Rob Chang, come on in. The weather's fine. Oh, glad to be here, Adam. It's not too hot today. Gosh. All right. Let's make it. Let's make her happen here. Now, before we dive in, I have a few questions for you about your blueprint. I have, uh, I have some other things I'd like to know about this whole passive wealth thing. Before we get into that, what we like to do is I read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. So uh, in your own words, tell us a bit about your journey to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your, your brilliance and your passion, something that inspired you, something that motivated you, something that shifted the course and brought you in this direction? Well, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to unpack there. I would say, you know, I started out in the family business of apartment ownership and managing. And so that as a business where they only managed, my family only managed what they owned. They didn't do any outside transactions. They didn't have any real estate licenses and they didn't do any any projects for anyone so i grew up right i grew up kind of doing the chores you know if i got in trouble i didn't get locked in my room i got put to work you know i remember being i think six years old picking up cigarette butts you know a little broom and a little tiny uh, dust dustpan <laughs> you know picking them up in the gutters and learning how to um <clears throat> collect the rent you know, door knock, knock. Back then it was all, everything was manual. And you know, that transitioned to learning how to write leases and uh, actually getting my hands dirty eventually, learning how to do all the maintenance, crawling all the attics. And um, after I went to college, I came back, I needed a job. So um, I, started job, I started my first job as a commercial real estate broker. It was a referral from my, um, from my dad. It was a broker he had been a client of for about 15 years. Yep. So they, that, that hookup got me a job. And I was a, I was a broker at that firm for about four years. And um, I mean, from there, it's a really, really windy road. I mean, if you can imagine like 
a river going through the jungle. That's kind of how my path was. Right. End up, end up here. A lot of mistakes, a lot of uh, screw ups. But um, I mean, in the end, all the lessons led me here. And um, I just want to relate to anybody who's like, oh, this guy's a big resume and he's, he's this and that. No, I'm just a normal dude. I just happen to be able to have some skills that have synergy. You know, they're all real estate related. It's not like I started as a broker and then I wanted to learn how to go be a painter in France. And then I wanted to learn how to be a computer engineer. And then I changed my mind and I wanted to be um, an investment banker. And I changed my mind and then I wanted mm -hmm. to be a race car driver. No, I mean, everything I, I learned as far as positions and careers was relatable to real estate being an owner being an investor a flipper a manager a builder so i didn't know any of that at the time i didn't have a coach i was just stumbling and fumbling my way through life you know i right. failed as i failed as a broker because one year one year almost 12 months in a row i didn't make a single commission so in that sense i failed because i quit okay yeah and then from a broker failed broker I went to start flipping foreclosure homes in the hood, in the ghetto. So I, yeah. I transitioned to that. That was a success, okay? And then from then on, I got all these comments from people walking through the houses, like they love the work, they love the, the, the craftsmanship, the details. So from there, I transitioned to be a full-time contractor. I'm talking about yeah. me, myself, with a tool belt, saw in my hand, you know, dirty pants, eight hours a day going to Home Depot, like between five and 10 times a day. I was doing that for eight years. I was driving a work truck. So, you know, you see me now, people don't realize there's this whole journey to get there. And it wasn't like, okay, I want to be a passive wealth coach and I'm just going to be that tomorrow. No. I mean, there's a whole bunch of <clears throat> steps in between that can get you there. Just like they got me there as you know if someone can provide a roadmap like i started getting coaching in 2017 and i got coaching from a realtor coach tom ferry coaching they're great 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 service for realtors and it was kind of like my first mentor right that i that wasn't like a senior level employee above me in the same company Somebody who saw my blind spots, saw my potential at the same time and showed me where to focus my activities. So the biggest problem I had, Adam, was being a control freak. That's my, okay. that's my mindset. So my first coach, Chris, he helped me let go of my white knuckle approach to everything. You know? Yeah, yeah. What I'd like to do here is, is you continue to tell the story, develop more about this whole control freak thing. And the reason I, I bring that up is I find that this is a barrier for a lot of folks who are trying to create something passive because the definition of passive is you're not micromanaging, you're not controlling, you don't have your hands on it, but it's hard to let go for some people. And I'm one of them. I'm one of them. So I got my pad of paper and two pens out. So I just wanted to bring that up and go ahead. So in the simplest macro terms the way i can explain it is to get to the passive wealth which is commonly called passive income but you know if you can get passive income from a, a vending machine paying you 50 bucks a month that's not passive wealth right passive right. wealth is at scale meaning it's enough for you to live off you don't have to work you have enough for your kids when you pass on you have enough for your grandkids you have enough to donate to charities. You have enough to do whatever the hell you want, wherever you want, for as long as you want. That's passive wealth. So to get to that scale, like not one vending machine, but a thousand vending machines, right? Not one ATM, but a thousand ATMs, right? Not one condo for rent, but a huge portfolio that you own, right. right? So to get there, you have to let go. And I, I really, that was tough for me. That was really tough for me. So. Like I mentioned about the contracting where I was so detailed, I was a perfectionist. I would look for every damn chip on the wall and I would stay there till like 10 p.m. touching it up with my own hand and my own paintbrush, you know, just so yeah. it was 
perfect. I want everything to go perfect for the showings for the open house. Uh-huh. Right? But there's only one me. It's like there, whoever's listening is only one you. Right? So what's the highest and best use of your time? Right? Right. So you have to look at what, what your current skill set is. Okay? If your current skill set, what makes you the most money per hour right now with the skills you have? Well, maybe you don't know, right? But maybe you know yeah. what doesn't make you the most money. Let's start there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, okay. yeah, I think that's great because I can tell you a lot of things that don't make me the most money per hour. Uh, and some of these things are life stuff that gets foisted upon us. Like somebody wrecks into the side of your car and even though the accident isn't your fault, you still have to deal with the insurance and the body shop and every other damn thing. So that's an example. That's an example of something that actually has negative value because you would think for the amount of money, and I'm not saying this to be mean or nasty or like condemnatory. I'm just saying this is the way it is. You'd think for the amount of money I pay for car insurance every month, I can make one phone call and just have the whole thing be settled with no inconvenience to me. Well, it doesn't quite work that way. So what I find is, and I cover this in my own book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, is the distinction between activity and action. So activity is stuff that, let's just say, we're really busy. We're really working on things. So an example of that could be, uh, let me let me just tell you from my own perspective. I can, if I choose to do so right now, I can have a complete special report with a professional landing page, a connection to my active campaign account, and a five-point automation set up in three hours. It's because I created a model once that all I have to do is clone and save as an edit. So an example of so an example of me optimizing my time is just following that system without creating anything new. A better example is outsourcing it. The worst example would be if I say, oh, I'm going to tinker this and make this really re- unique because this new special report I'm creating is different. Different to who? Different to me, maybe, but to my market, it's just a matter of does the title attract an opt-in? Is this, does the content inspire an action? That's it. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah, it's building your own blueprint that you can tweak and you can, you know, set your drips out 90 days ahead and just set it and forget it. Yeah, that's all your free time. You can never get the time you spend back. So, you know, use it wisely. Yeah. And sometimes we're not yet in a position like I can hear somebody out there saying, oh, dealing with your insurance company. Well, don't you have an assistant for that? Okay, candidly, I'm not quite there yet. So I looked at that situation. I thought, okay, well, here's a goal. If anybody ever wrecks into the side of my car again, I'm making one phone call and that's it. Anybody, anything else has to be dealt with by somebody else. So what that's going to do is I'm going to set that as this is how it will happen. If this ever happens to me again, this is how it will go. And that will put in line intentional actions and subliminal actions that will bring me toward that result. I spoke in an event a few years ago and one of the other uh, speakers from stage told everybody in the audience that he had decided that he was going to be live to be 107 years old. Now, not he was trying to live to be 107 years old. He said, I will live to be 107 years old. Then he went on to explain it saying, well, I can't, of course, I can't guarantee that. But if I set that intention and I say, I am going to live to be 107 years old, not I'm going to try, I hope to, I'm going to, whether or not I feel I can realistically make that goal, I'm going to start doing things as a matter of habit and natural action to stack the deck in my favor. Little steps every day. Definitely. Making the, making the decision is more important than the how. Yeah. You know, you can figure out the how along the way. Just got to make the decision and as, as to do your direction, your career, your life, your health, your relationship, whatever it is you, you want to attack. And, and, you know, the how is what stops everyone. When people ask me how, you know, the conversation needs to redirect. Because yeah. if I told you how, it wouldn't matter. The most important thing is the why. Why are you doing this? You know? Yeah. Why are you, why, you know, why are you setting these active campaigns so it's so easy to do? Well, maybe you want to reach a certain amount of audience, right? Right. So it's, it's the why. So it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. 
Yeah. Right. So when, when people come to me and they say, well, I want to, I want to build a portfolio of 50 uh, homes. First thing I ask, why? It's not going to be easy. So I need to get this clear. Why do you want to do this? Now, is that, now, does that mean why do you want to do it overall? Why does it have to be 50 or a combination of both? I would say, well, I can see, I would just hear what they have to say. Why is like, okay, well, I want to be in, I want to be in a financial position where I can pay for my kids college without blinking. Or I want to take, I take one vacation with the family per year. I like to take four, right? Or, you know, I'd like to buy this car. I want to upgrade my house or whatever it is, right? There's always a big why. And that's what we have to get focused on. That's why. Why are you doing this? Because it's so easy to quit. It's like a New Year's resolution. How many people follow through? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't make New Year's resolutions, uh, number one. I believe that in doing so, you're funding an industry is designed to capitalize on other people's failures. So that, that's, item, that's item number one. Item number two is I ask the question, without it being necessarily a challenge or a way of calling somebody out, but I, like, for example, what's, what's one of the most common, quote unquote, New Year's resolutions? I'm going to hit the gym and lose 20 pounds. Okay. So my first, so, so I could ask two questions. Originally I'd ask one question, but just listening to you, Rob, I've come up with a second question. First question would be, uh, okay. So why arbitrarily start that on January 1st? And thanks to listening to you, see, this is the mastermind effect in action. Now I'm thinking I would ask, why do you feel the need to lose 20 pounds? Yeah, who will you become? Who, when you're 20 pounds lighter, who will you become? What yeah, is your new identity. Is it and 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 that could open up a, a whole can of worms here. For example, are you doing it because the TV told you you have to? Are you doing it because you think somehow it will impress another person? Are you doing it because you believe it's going to make you feel better, look better? It's going to raise your confidence, going to raise your energy. Are you doing it simply? to challenge yourself and say, I can do this. There could be a lot of reasons why, but understanding that why to me can help us get a little bit deeper into what motivates us and what could be some of the, even potentially some of the holdbacks from us being able to let go and not be control freaks. There's always something getting in the way yeah. of goals, right? It's usually... A good life. Yeah. And then there's, yeah, yeah, there's another one here. Just while I'm thinking about it. So if you want to lose 20 pounds, why not 30? Or maybe why not 10 for starters? Uh, or why do you have to go to the gym to lose those 20 pounds? You know, there's other ways to lose weight. Yeah, definitely. It's, Think about it. I mean, that's the mechanics of how you get there, right? Yeah. You could hire a trainer. You could change your diet. You could, you know, do intermittent fasting. There's so many ways to lose weight, but then you have to go granular. Say, okay, how much percentage fat do you want to lose and how much muscle do you want to gain? Because what if you lose 20 pounds of fat, but you gain 20 pounds of muscle? You've lost zero pounds of gross weight, but you're going to be massively more healthy. Right. So you have to get granular to get the progress because some people just step on the scale and they go, Oh crap, I haven't lost any weight today, but I feel good, you know, compared to two weeks ago. And they don't know Bingo. why. And so they Bingo. quit. So they yeah. quit. Yeah. So is weight loss even the goal to begin with? Or is it reducing fat and increasing muscle? Is it reducing body fat index? Is it, uh, is it relieving the amount of weight that's uh, resting on your knees? So that you have more agility there. I, I mean, we can go down the list of what the actual goal is that gets distilled in layman's terms into go to the gym and lose 20 pounds. Yeah, definitely. It could be, you know, a scare from a recent uh, checkup. It could be maybe you're seeing your parents age with some sort of health condition. They're scared yeah. of you, right? And there's a whole bunch yeah. of things. And I know this is a business podcast, right? Oh, no, no, no. What we're doing is we're talking business. This is key to business because all that stuff about copywriting and funnels and uh, and uh, and 
getting money from private investors and all the other topics that are popular on this show, that don't amount to a hell of beans till we cover what you and I are covering. It doesn't matter if you're dead. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you have to be alive and well to, to do the presentations, to be there, to have people like, know, and trust you. You have to be alive, uh -huh. to be speaking to them. And you have yeah. to have the energy to present well, to get your message across, to you know be there for your family, for your your commitments, and then have all the extra time to expand your you know your businesses. So people really tend to neglect their bodies when their businesses are going well, and it's a shame because. Uh, yep, I'm, I'm I'm raising my hand here right now. <laughs> You know, the, um, the business would do so much better if the people were more healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, my issue is, is overall I'm pretty healthy, but uh, I, I could stand to lose, well, more than a few, and I don't have the agility I should have simply because I've been so sedentary with the amount of effort I've been putting into the business. It's caused me to sit around a lot. So I look for silver linings wherever I can. I cover this in my book as well. Uh, when a cloud comes... Remember it as a silver lining and you want to invest in that silver lining because it's uh, made of a precious metal. Uh, right now, as we do this interview, my car is in the shop. Remember I mentioned earlier, I got into an accident. Somebody hit the side of my car. Yeah. Uh, so my car, so my car is in the shop right now and it's going to be there for probably about another, uh, they say a week and a half and I got my fingers crossed. So what, so what's one, what are one of the steps I took is I looked at the new neighborhood I just moved to. And I identified, where's the nearest branch of the bank I use for personal banking? Where is the nearest grocery store? Where's the nearest coffee shop? How far am I from that cigar shop I like to hang out at? Uh, where's the nearest uh, Walmart? Where's the nearest Target? Where's the nearest Sprouts? Where's the nearest Whole Foods? And I mapped all these things, and I figured out that all but a couple of them were within walking distance. Now, if I define walking distance as a half hour each way, Look what I've just done. Number one, I've eliminated my need to pay exorbitant fees to rent a car. And B, I've just taken an important first step in reversing my sedentary lifestyle. A small step, but a step. Yeah, yeah. Because now I'm walking places that previously I would drive to by default. So that's going to lead to other things. Uh, so I can ask myself, how can I optimize my day? How can I optimize how appointments show up on my schedules to allow me blocks of time so that I can walk to and from errands, knowing that it's going to take me twice the amount of time, but I'm going to get at least three times the amount of benefits simply because I'm going to be up and moving around more. And just like um, just like a battery charges when it, it's – or just like your vehicle – charges this battery when you run the vehicle because the alternator it's the same thing when you're up and moving around you're charging yourself walking around is your body's alternator that charges your battery yeah you could do a live stream for all your followers while you're walking somewhere for 30 minutes i pers i personally wouldn't do that because i believe selfies kill however i do see folks that do that uh there are folks uh i, I see them in the in the uh, in the fitness industry, for example, that will document their daily hikes. I know some. I know somebody who documents their daily bicycle rides because riding their bicycle around town is part of their health journey, and it's also part of their lifestyle. They make an adventure of it. They try different trails. They go down uh, different paths just to see what's out there. Yeah, you know, um, you should look up Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Yep, I know who she is. Yeah, if you just do hot and cold therapy like three times a week, yeah, that's equivalent to working out and just sitting there. You could be sitting there on your iPad, yeah, yeah, much calories, flushing R toxins, right? Right. So, again, is the goal to go to the, the gym and lose 20 pounds? If you what you're looking for is weight loss, if you're looking to increase metabolism, you just gave us an example of how you can literally just sit there and make it happen. Exactly. There's no yeah. excuses. There's no excuses in the how, only the why. Exactly. So that's what we're really drilling down to is there are so many hows out there. You can pick the one that makes the most sense. Like, uh, yeah, I moved to Las Vegas eight years ago. And it was right after I moved to Las Vegas that uh, my weight started spiking. And the reason is I got really busy with my business and uh, 
physical fitness kind of went out the window. And uh, it was just a matter that uh, for all those years, I was sedentary. And, I, and I'm currently on a multi-year journey of uh, personal growth. So it started with um, rebranding my appearance personally, then changing where I live, uh, changing other things in my life. And I've always had it in sort of my schedule that after I got myself living in a place I really wanted to be living in, the next step would be to put a heavy, and, and actually after I reached a, a certain point in my business, which I have now reached, then the next step would be to layer in more health, more fitness, more reversing the effects of the sedentary behavior. But you want to know the why that actually has cemented the fact that I'm going to do it? I do. It's real simple. I just moved from one apartment to another, which involved packing, unpacking, and then going back and cleaning another place. Uh, I felt it in the knees. Mm. They're, st- they're, they're carrying too much weight. Yeah, my, my nutrition coach said one pound loss is equivalent to, I believe, four pounds on the joints. Yes. Which is astounding, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to go through middle age feeling like that. So that right there is what locks it in. It's happening. The how to be determined. But I know what the, I know the why is and give us a couple of weeks we're going to know what the how is, what the how is. Yeah, I think it's great that you're self-aware and that way you know I mean some people have to hit rock bottom to change, but you don't have to. I mean there's signs if you just follow them. Like me personally, I got a I got a I got a checkup and my doctor said, okay, well, you're obese. Like, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, oh crap, I got a little kid and I want to live a long, long life. Uh-huh. So within six months, I lost 35 pounds of fat. Yeah. Gain like the muscle gain was only like five pounds, which is weird. Muscle gain is really slow. Yeah. Me. And I, I have a totally new body. It's just crazy. And I'm, all this energy and uh-huh. anyone can do it. It's not hard. No, no. And, 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 and when you find your why, cause your why is you want to be a father in your child's life for a long time. Exactly. And you want to be a great father, not, not actually you want to be a dad, not just a father. Am I hearing you right? I want to be able to run side by side, not just sit on the bench and watch my kid run around, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Which, which good, which good. Yeah, which goes back to being a dad, not just a father. And that requires energy. That requires stamina. That requires uh, actually longevity. If you want to be there for a long time, if you want to, if you want your, if you want your grandchildren to have memories of you, you're going to have to stick around for a while. That's a very powerful why. Exactly. So I don't drink. I don't smoke. I just, uh, I have meal prep. Most of my meals are just from, you know, they come in a box once a week. Yeah. And some people think it's crazy or boring, but I save so much time and money, uh, you know, to do other things like create wealth and help other yeah. people and be of service. You know, I have, um, I have for myself, I have what's known as a capsule wardrobe, which means it has about 12 different pieces. It can combine into about 30 different outfits. I did a personal brand consultation followed by, uh, followed by a, um, a guided shopping expedition to build out this wardrobe. And, uh, you know, it's funny is that part of that process involved a genetic analysis and a way of measuring myself that I did, was not aware of before. Among other things, we did the seasonal analysis to determine my seasonal complexion and how that matches with certain colors, which generate oh, wow. certain energy. So there's that. And then another piece was doing measurements of my physique that I didn't even know were commonly done. Now, Hang on to your hat for the for the punchline on this one. Among other things, we found out that my shoulders are four inches wider than they're supposed to be for somebody of my height and overall build. So I can legitimately put in any in any dating profile looking for a broad-shouldered man. Here he is. <laughs> I mean, literally by the numbers, I'm considered an extremely broad-shouldered man. Now, the next piece is uh, measuring the arms, the legs, all kinds of measurements I didn't even know that uh, were considered. But you want to know what measurements my branding consultant did not do? No. The waist. Why? Did not measure the waist. 
there's a there's there are various reasons behind it, but when it comes down to it, it's actually one of the least important things. But yet we're taught, we're programmed that your waist size is the all important arbiter of how much how much you're in shape or out of shape. Well, I think when people don't want to try on pants, they like put them around their neck or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know if that works for everyone. No, 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 no. No, no. See, see, we're 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 socially programmed because it's a simple measurement. Look at your waist. If you add an inch to your waist, well, maybe you should buy dietary supplements or maybe you should buy a gym membership or something like that. But the point of the scientific approach that I took was looking at my overall structure and how to use that to acquire a wardrobe that would optimize my appearance based on my real shape. And waist size is actually one of the less important factors when you consider that. Also, you have to bear in mind that between different clothing manufacturers, a waist size can mean different things. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. See, you, you, know, you know that as well as I have. And she pointed that out to me. It's like, look, when we go shopping tomorrow, you're going to possibly look at three different pairs of jeans and they may all be the same waist size and, and some of them might not even fit you. Yeah, definitely. I'm yeah. all about the spandex, spandex jeans, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, and that was one of her points. We're not looking for, she said, we're not looking for elastic waist. We're not looking for loose fits. We're looking for ideal fits. And that's not going to be determined by relying on one number. Yeah, that's exciting. So you got you got off-the-shelf clothes or you got them tailored? Uh, that's, yeah, that's the thing. I bought them off the shelf, but had a lot of them tailored or adjusted. See, I did not know that it was a thing that if you buy jeans off the rack, you have the legs tapered in and that oh, makes yeah. them, and that makes them look a lot better when you wear them. Oh yeah. Was I, 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 I never understood why it seemed like I looked like such a schlub when I wore jeans and everybody else looked sharp. It's just simply a matter of taking yeah. them to a tailor and paying like uh, $30 a pair to have them tapered in. Yep, yep, yep. That's all. I and mean. and yeah, and, and blue and, and jeans are the type of thing where it's actually worth it to invest in quality. There is a big difference between a hundred and thirty dollar pair and a thirty dollar pair. Both have their place in your life, but when it comes to your upgraded wardrobe, the the, the part that you go out to present yourself in professionally and put out attraction factors, that's actually a worthwhile investment. Yeah. I definitely agree. The fashion, yeah. I mean, damn, my wife would definitely agree. <laughs> but, you know, we own an alteration business, so we do that stuff all the time. And uh, I mean, but before we did, it was it was kind of a hassle, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> right. So so let's uh, so let's uh, shift gears here a little bit, and you know, you're talking. One thing I wanted to you know mention, and it seems to be coming up in a lot of our conversations on this show lately, is did you just say, did you say that you invest in ATMs? No, I don't. I'm just giving an example. One of my, oh, okay. my friends does. One of right, friends right, does. Yeah. right. Is that really a growing thing? People investing in uh, automatic teller machines. Well, I guess there's good profit margin. It's just the you know the laborers. How far is your coverage area? It's not really enough to have staff. Right. It's kind of a one one person operation. Um, you know how far are you willing to drive to collect to refill and collect the machine? Right. Right. The 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 cash money in the machine. But I'm just saying an example. That's just an example of. You know, it's one stream of passive income could be owning one ATM, right? Yeah. How much does that make you a month? Not, 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 not a lot. I mean, that might, that might be useful spending money for grocery runs, but that's about it. Exactly. I mean, there might be little activities here and there that make some money, but really the tried and true method in America has been real estate. Okay. It's not crypto. It's not NFTs. It's not blockchain. None of that stuff is tried and true. Look at FTX. Okay, that's a prime example. That logo's on the floor of so many NBA arenas. It's ridiculous. Uh huh. And they're just exploding. And I apologize if the listeners own crypto, um, <clears throat> but real estate is slow and steady. It's predictable. Uh -huh. Even when there's a crash, it's like a slow crash. It's like 
it's a really, really slow crash. It's not 50% overnight. You can, right. get in, you can get out as needed. Um, and there's a lot of first-time millionaires in real estate. These are not trust fund babies. First-timers become real estate millionaires very, very often. You know, what, I've, what I'm noticing here is you know, I'm 46 years old myself, so that gives you an idea of what I've seen come and go. And I, when I was growing up and even when I was a young adult, I was told the story about how uh, you don't ever want to rent an apartment. What you want to do is buy a house as quickly as possible because when you pay rent, you, you're not getting anything in return, whereas a house is a return on investment. And, you know, my life hasn't gone that way. One of the reasons is one of my key personal values when it comes to where I live is it's mostly shelter. Uh, I'm actually more interested in having a nice car. As long as my place is clean and secure and I can fit my stuff in here, I'm good to go. Uh, Also, portability is important because I don't see myself as being tethered to one town, one region, one state, one city. If I see opportunity elsewhere, I'm going to follow it. So these are these are a couple of my values. And what we're noticing, and at least what I'm seeing, is that this is becoming more and more a norm. And there are a few factors that I think are driving it. And I'm going to share what I think it is. And I want to get your thoughts on it. And this may influence why our listeners might want to get involved in this. Uh, one of the items is, is because of how much things cost these days, it's harder to buy a house to begin with. So some people aren't even going to try. Second is with the increased mobility the technology has gotten us, you're not obligated by circumstance or even choice to make a life in that same little town you grew up in, your parents grew up in, and their parents grew up in, and so on and so forth. So a lot of people are moving around, and they may try several different cities, several different lifestyles before they settle down if they ever do at all. Then you have the rise of minimalism and essentialism, where people who engage in those lifestyles like I do invest more in experience than things. So as I said, I don't need a big apartment. Recently, I moved to a smaller one. That's not a reflective, and it's not a reflection of my economic status at all. It's a reflection of the fact that I was living in this cavernous place with multiple empty rooms and the feng shui was way off. Yeah. So put so, all so put all this together. Mm-hmm. So put all this together, Rob. Yeah. And I'm wondering if we see this trend towards so much housing being bought up by investors who then position it as rental properties is as much simply a response to a real-time demand as it is some alleged conspiracy to uh, take away people's independence. Because I don't think it's that at all. I actually think that it's just a simple fact that a lot more people are choosing to rent rather than to buy. I think I remember Grant Cardone saying something to the effect of, uh, if you buy a house, it shouldn't be the place where you live. It should be the place where you, it should be the thing you use to make money. Ideally, yeah. We have friends that have bought investment property before they bought a house to live in. And it's yeah. done them really, really well. I mean, if the people have the patience and the sacrifice to do that, most people don't and it will greatly benefit their wealth creation. It'll get it started years earlier. So, I mean, to answer your question, a lot of people think the same way that you do. They have the same mindset. That's why the renter's pool is growing. It's growing at a high rate, right? Usually it was 50-50, if you look historically, ownership and renters. Anybody that wants to look, that's all public knowledge. You can look at the city data or the U.S. census to see what your your city or township percentages are. But with that, with that being said, the renter's percentage is growing, right? That's why investing in multifamily is a growing industry because right. you have more customers. You have a bigger customer base every year, which means that it can support building more inventory, right? It can support adding ADU in the backyard. It can support building more units from your tuck under carport, right? It can right. support that. If it was shrinking, it would be the opposite, right? It'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, you're building too many units. Nobody's going to occupy them. But the reality is any new inventory that comes online, it gets snatched up really quick. 
Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, and you know, Las Vegas, which is where I'm located right now is one of the worst metropolitan areas in the country as far as, uh, as far as the ratio between inventory and demand. Well, yeah, our, inv- our inventory mm-hmm. is so low that as of a few months ago, realtor friends of mine were still, uh, were still putting their prospects through auctions and lotteries to determine who even got to bid on properties. Yeah, it's crazy. A lot of people are leaving um, California, go to Vegas, um, yep. Arizona, Portland. I mean, Oregon and Washington, some of the biggest influx. Florida has a huge influx. Texas has a huge influx. It's um, it's pretty wild to see this happening. But um, I mean, just imagine, Adam, if you got sick one day, right? Mm-hmm. And you couldn't pay the rent. Like what income stream would pay the rent for you while you were out for six months? If I owned a property that I was renting out to somebody else, then I imagine that the, after, after the percentage of that that covers the mortgage and, and the uh, management company fees and what have you, that'd be enough left for me to get by. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I, if I only had a few properties or if I hadn't completely optimized my margins yet, it might be kind of a squeaker, but I bet you I could pull it off. I mean, look at the rise of Airbnbs. Yeah. Why have they exploded in ownership? Well, that's though that speaks that speaks to the uh, digital nomad lifestyle. Uh, folks who don't even have a home who just move around. I have a, I have several friends like that. Uh, every week they live in a different city, so they uh, they either live in Air, Airbnbs or they belong to couch surfing websites. <laughs> which is really, uh, which is really sort of like the hipster version of the of uh, living in an Airbnb, except you're just crashing on a couch instead of having a a whole unit or a whole room to yourself. When I go to Phoenix, Arizona, there's uh, I can't remember exactly where it is. I have it written down somewhere because I've stayed there like four or five times. There's this uh, couple that has bought basically an entire block in in a Phoenix suburb of these identical. Little houses. Uh, they look so little on the outside, but when you go inside, when you actually enter them, they're fairly they're fairly spacious three bedroom units, and they Airbnb all of them. Wow! And uh, and actually, their entire living because I, I spoke with them about this. Their entire living is just simply maintain the Airbnb, so they save on the management company fees. They they're you know they're they're handy themselves. And what's really cool about it is they spend a couple of days. Uh, uh, you know, a couple hours a day, basically, just going into the units when somebody checks out to clean them before the next person checks in. And otherwise, they have uh, fairly free lifestyles, have a lot of free time. Yeah, a lot of people like the Airbnbs. It's the easiest way to become a landlord. And, you know, you can do it with a condo. If the HOA allows, you can do it with a house. If you're close enough to self-manage it. Otherwise, management fees are pretty expensive for an Airbnb. Yeah. But um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize it's management intensive. It's a little hotel. Uh, Basically, yeah. And every yeah. time somebody checks out, you got to be over there to clean it. Exactly. We had one of those back in the day in Santa Cruz. And one time a tenant called, called already after the new guest had checked in, called me and said, oh, I forgot a little brown paper bag in the nightstand. Like, can you call them and check on it? See if it's still there. And I said, well, what is it? You say brown paper bag. What is it? So, oh, it's my, my handgun. I go, well, why did you bring it? And why did you leave it behind? So I called <laughs> them. Guess what? It's not there. Nothing's there. So I said, hey, man, you're out of luck. But I really hope it wasn't there. You know? Like, oh, man. You know, little things like that. Or one time the cleaner didn't show up. And these people had a raging party. And there was liquor bottles everywhere you know the new guy chewed me out and he got free rent for the weekend you know like yeah people don't know the downside of airbnb being a property is it takes time you hear you hear stories of these landlords like you just described that have scaled their business Uh but they didn't just step in and plug and play to that you know the airbnbs people use their life savings to buy one property to self-manage it, they're going to think they're going to make three times the rent. You know, if it's $2,000 renting to a long-term family, 
maybe they can get six grand from an Airbnb tenant. Uh-huh. Awesome. Okay, what about the winter, buddy? You yeah. Know, what about uh, when there's nobody coming to town? What about when there, there's no conventions? Yeah. Um, you think about that? Oh, no, I didn't think about that. Okay. Well, let's not get trapped into the romantic idea of having an Airbnb just because there's good commercials on TV. I'm going to be really blunt with you guys and girls. Buy and hold long-term real estate is the path to wealth creation. Okay. It's not anything trendy. You could do it on Airbnbs, but it's highly, highly involved. Highly involved. Okay. You want to scale it? Tack on a management company. Tack on a construction company. That's the way we did it. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, in real estate, the property management company is the most passive income generating business. Brokerage is highly involved. You got to meet with the clients. You got to do the marketing. You got to get new listings. And then you got to do the open houses and all the negotiations, right? Yeah. Flipping is the same thing. You're always looking for the next deal, whether it's auction, off-market, foreclosure, sub-two, whatever the hell you like to buy it as wholesale, right? You're always yeah. looking for your next burger to buy, devour, and get onto the next one, right? Property management, you sign a contract to manage this building. The owner is going to send you fees every month. doesn't matter if you get one service call, one move out. 10 move outs or you get zero service calls zero move outs zero late fees they're going to pay you no matter what that's called guaranteed money yeah okay that's just, people say real estate pros they look at management and say no i don't want that that's little money that's tiny money it's not good enough for me i want the commissions i want the big you know selling sunset i want to be that superstar in the area right yeah but the reality is most realtors are broke and they fail. Uh-huh. Well, got this that's the idea, you know, but it's wrong. You know, you know, um, I have a lot of friends who are realtors, and uh, and the one and uh, the majority of them fall into this stereotype you see of the of the of the harried salesperson who is uh speeding from property to property, from meeting to meeting, exactly. and they and they and they have a cell phone that probably is physically stapled <laughs> onto the, onto the side of their head. And the, and these are the one, these are the ones I see struggling, hustling, what have you. But then I know a few realtors uh, who uh, actually, you know, are, are just as accessible, uh, accessible, you know, you can reach them very easily, um, have inventory, are able to take time for you and things along those lines, but they're living actually a pretty relatively level paced lifestyle. They have a what you know for that industry is considered a standard business day of work, and they're not constantly rushing trying to keep up with their own schedule. Well, that's you're talking about the top five percent. The top five percent, yeah. They know how to leverage time and go for listings, never ever represent buyers, and how to you know stick to their farm. You're talking about people that are focused with business plans. Other realtors that are driving from property to property, selling properties in Henderson, selling properties in Vegas, you know, they don't know where their next deal is coming from, you know? Uh-huh. That's the average realtor. Right. Are they going to last? You know, can they pay rent? Are they living at their parents' house? You know, like, it's not sustainable. Whereas... Property management, I used to know a property manager in Vegas that managed 500 single family homes, you know, and that's totally scalable, right? That's absolutely scalable because the operations time that's involved is really on the setup. You're most involved yeah. when you take a property on board. And if it's vacant, you have to lease it up. But between the leasing up and the move out, very, very little activity. Yeah, maybe two or three plumbing calls a year. Right. That's it. Right. How hard is that? The people, yeah. the realtors looked at that and they said, oh, I don't want to do a, a you know, leasing fee. It's only going to make me a month's rent. Uh -huh. Just selling it. 
But the thing is, a leasing fee gets you in front of a rental property owner. If they know your name, you know their name, they're comfortable with you. It builds a network, it builds a foundation. And you better believe it's a small community. Yeah, all certainly. The, all the investors know each other. That uh, I I can believe that. So what I what I another thing that just occurred to me is you know, we discussed earlier the idea of if you're buying a property, it's not going to be the place where you live. And what if that and and the and the trend of people for their living situation is to more and more to rent rather than to buy. Well, to me, and it just popped into my mind during our conversation, I never thought of it this way, is think of it like two people, think of it like um, couples who go on cruises who are married, but just not to each other. It's kind of the same thing with your living situation. You own a house, you just don't live in it. Wait, wait, wait. Explain that to me. Couples that go on cruises, but it's, not it, yeah, if you, if, you, if, if you watch shows like uh, CSI and things like that, it seems like every third episode is about a murder that takes place on the cruise. And among the suspects are some couple that go on a cruise together once a year. They're married, but not to each other. Uh, so, uh, like yeah, yeah. It's, like that it's, show, it's, bingo. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So think about that almost in terms of how our living situations could be. Uh, like, let's say I own a house, but I don't live in it. Rob Chang is my tenant. So he rents from me, but Rob Chang also owns a house that he doesn't live in. So home ownership might not necessarily be dead. It might actually be quite alive and well. It's just a matter of that we're not necessarily living in the places we own anymore like we used to. So if I so if Rob wants exactly. to rent from me for three years and then try his luck in another city or another place or something like that, then I move somebody else in. And for all I know. They own something else, but they maintain their lifestyle flexibility by renting from others. Exactly. We have some retirees that only own one investment property. Yeah. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. That's exactly what they do. Right. I mean, I, I, that's kind of an aggressive approach. I would say let's take the medium ground. And if someone, because most people eventually, they want some sort of security as far as where they live for a long time. I would suggest... Buy a fourplex. Yeah. Straight away. Have that be your first property. And then you can rent the three uh, other units. Yeah. Occupy the smallest unit and rent out the three other units. If you want to be aggressive, rent out the extra bedrooms in your unit and you will be living there for free. You know, that's free. Then you can travel. If you want to move to Spain, then you go ahead and rent your room out. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you know what then, I love about that? You can control who your neighbors are. Yeah, you can you can be really you don't have to follow the fair housing rules if it's in your apartment. Right. <laughs> That's really weird, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know it's crazy. So that's the best way because real estate makes money while you sleep. It goes up and down, but it, over time it does trend to go up, you know, if you look and it gives you tax breaks. You can be a nomad, but why can't you be a wealthy digital nomad? Right. I'm, you know yeah, I'm that's how I'd prefer to do it. Exactly. I mean, to level up requires a little bit of sacrifice. Okay. Like mm-hmm. um, pooling all your money together for a down payment. It requires a lot of discipline. And you might have to go scorched earth on some of your favorite hobbies or activities for a while. You know, because that's human nature. If I need $100,000 for a down payment, right? But I only have $20,000. It's human nature to go blow that 20 grand on some toys. It's human nature. Yeah. Right? But if I write down with somebody next to me holding me accountable, not your significant other, a third party, and we're mapping out this plan to get to 100 grand is going to take five years and you're going to save this amount every month going to go automatically there's no way you're not going to get to that goal sure no way and it, and it, yeah and uh, and you think of think of it this way um let's say you want to let's say you want to start modestly and uh you need like fifteen thousand dollars for for a uh depo- for a deposit 
I'm just ma- I'm just going to make up some numbers. I mean, they may change over time, but you know, you see the idea of hearing about fifteen thousand dollars your deposit when you buy a house. So, yep, FHA three and a half. You, yeah, you uh, yeah, you uh, you save ten dollars a day. You're there in five years. Exactly because you because you, well, actually actually less than that because ten dollars a day you're going to save three thousand six hundred and fifty dollars that year. So then seven twenty. Yeah, so actually a little over four years. So you want to get real aggressive, save $20 a day, and you'll be there in two years. Translation, bye-bye, Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you, you know, you can, you can add $20 a day simply by preparing more meals at home. Exactly. Put it into account that, that you don't look at and you'll be there. Yeah, 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 there, yeah, there's probably something you can set up with your bank account that automatically deducts. So that um, every day it just pulls twenty dollars out. You're not even thinking about that. A lot of because 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 if you're checking your balance daily just to make sure there's enough money there for your Starbucks run, you don't necessarily have to give up Starbucks. But there's not going to be fake money there in the sense of money that really should be saved. And you're going to say, "Well, I could transfer that twenty dollars manually like I'm supposed to, but I really want my extra pumpkin spice latte." No, the twenty dollars got pulled out. And move somewhere else at three o'clock this morning. It ain't there. Exactly. So you got to look at that existing spice. balance. Is there a pumpkin spice latte there? If no. so, great, have one. If not, you don't get one. Exactly. So people, yeah. people want to use the excuse that, oh, it's too hard to start, or I don't know how to do it. I want to do it. I want to get there, but I don't know step one. Yeah. It, so- yeah. Actually, now that I think of it, most banks, I think all you have to do is just set up a a recurring transfer and just uh, have it take $20 a day from your checking to your savings. That transfer will process in the middle of the night. uh, And then uh, when you check your balance in the morning, you'll know how much money you have for the day. Exactly. If you look on the average American street, three out of every hundred homes, those are your, those are your real estate investment property owners. Yeah. Okay. You can think like the 97 others, or you can act like the three on your block do. You yeah. got to be different. You got to think differently. It's not like this is not crowd think. You right. Have to be a different thinker and a different action taker to be an investor. The hardest part of being an investor is buying that first property. Everything else is easy after that. Just like you made your active campaign template. Yeah. Took a ton of time, details and mental capacity. Not to mention my optimized press templates, uh, my Photoshop templates for my covers and things like that. I put a lot of time into it the first time around, but then the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, save as, change, done. I can do the whole process start to finish in three hours. Exactly. It's just like you're learning how to ride a bike or a horse. Hell yeah, yeah, it's hard the first time. You're learning how to stand up when you surf. Yeah. You fall on your ass and your face a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. When you get it, that's a beautiful thing. It is. It is. So we're actually speaking of uh, time. We're out of it, unfortunately. I'd love to keep going with you forever here. But uh, what I want to do is I want to make sure that our audience uh, gets their invitation from you. So you have uh, you have a landing page, uh, which is going to be located at your website, robchang.com. Uh, it has sort of a long URL to it, but people can go there. And uh, it has the option to discover the seven-step heroics blueprint to passive wealth to achieve financial freedom. So that's also the topic of your book. Uh, you can go. You can go to the page and get a free video training, and there is a lot of great information there. So check the show notes; you'll see it. And I also want to invite folks to your website, which is. Apartments, it's apartments manager where the word apartments is abbreviated. So I'll spell it for you. It's A-P-T-S-M-A-N-A-G-E-R. So apartmentsmanager.com. And there you can discover, uh, you can discover RC Real Estate, uh, which is uh, one of Rob's ventures. And you can get to know more about what it's like to do business with him. So a couple of different ways you can interact with Rob. Also check our show notes for his social media and connect with him there. So with that, Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. It's been great. Thanks for having me on, Adam. 
We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.